Loved, forgiven, accepted. The Father's delight. If I had to say to you, those are all attributes of sons and daughters of God. So when you get saved, you receive an identity as the son or daughter of God, and some of those characteristics, some of those things that allow us to, that we receive in that, there's a whole list of them. I just put a four up there just, just for the purpose of demonstration, and I hope the demonstration is going to go the way I think it's going to go. But if I asked you, out of all of those things that you receive from God, that you know of God is true of you, which would you say is the most relevant, the, the, the one that you get the most, the one that you understand the most? So just look at that. Okay, I'm going to start from the bottom. Which of you would say, I'm the Father's delight? That's the biggest revelation to me. A few hands. Accepted. Now, if you've got to choose one, you've got to choose one, not many. That's all available to us. I get that. You've got to choose one, the one that you know the most, the one that you understand that you get hold of. I live in this. I thank God for this. Okay. The Father's delight. Let's do that again. Okay. There's about 15 hands. Accepted. Yeah, oh, similar. Loved. Nice. Forgiven. Hmm. Hmm. Put your hands up for forgiven again. In most crowds that I speak to, if I ask that question, the answer is overwhelmingly forgiven. We understand forgiven. We understand that Jesus' blood was shed so that I might be guilt-free, that I might be forgiven. Most people have an understanding, I'm loved, and kind of because of that forgiveness, loved. Most people don't get, I'm the Father's delight. Most people don't get, I'm accepted, I'm chosen, I'm adopted. It's all those things we know, but in our living out, when we're under pressure, where do we go? The one that most people understand is forgiven. Three prophetic words came this morning. One said, God says you can have your bed butted on both sides. Another one came and said, if you're in a box, if you've got the whole of the kingdom, but you're in a box, there's a part of you that's not in the kingdom. Another one said this, it's like a cubic, a cubic uh, rhombic cube, Rubik cube. And uh, it's all jungle jiggled up. And you can maybe get one side of it. But how do we solve the whole thing so that all the sides are the same color? And often the one side that we get is we understand forgiveness. The one side of the buttered bread buttered is forgiveness. But often there's a box in our lives that we have not applied the gospel to. And it's what I started talking about a couple of weeks ago called shame. Because the gospel doesn't just forgive you. 
It releases you of shame. And it's probably, I mean, I've been walking with Jesus for a long time and preaching for a long time, and I've never actually understood this thing of shame and the ramifications that it has on our lives. As part of it is as God has been dealing with me and my walk with him. I've had, a, I had an encounter with, with a man three weeks ago who got set free, radically changed his outlook on life. He became an evangelist for shame, freeness. And so he told a man, a big business guy from Joburg, who flew down to see me, told me his story, a very successful man on the outside, very successful. But on the inside, he felt like a five-year-old boy that was being abused. He felt like he was never fitted in any way. He was never included. In fact, his grandfather said to him, you're not worthy of your Afrikaans name, Johan. I'm going to call you Johnny. At the age of four or five. This man got radically set free. He's been walking with Jesus for a long time. He knows that his sins are forgiven, but somehow he's been living in the box. Only one side of the cube has been done. This week, we're in a group of people in a, in a home group setting, not in this church, and a lady starts talking and I can hear by her language now, she feels completely unworthy. She never feels good enough. She always feels excluded. So I say to her, I just want to let you know, this is how you feel, but God says that's not how you're meant to be because you know him. She just starts weeping. And instantly in my mind I know something happened to her when she was young. So I say to her, something happened to you when you were young. I didn't say more than that. After the home group, I go to her and I say, sorry for picking you out like that, but, but I really feel God wants to minister to you. She just starts weeping. And she tells of, of sexual abuse in her as a child, amongst other things. And shame just begins to fall off of her. I feel like God is, is wanting us to understand the fullness of this gospel that we're in. You see, you weren't saved to go to heaven. For those that are saved, heaven's coming to you. When Jesus returned, heaven comes, and then we go to heaven. You were not saved to go to heaven. You were saved to have intimacy with the Father so that you can walk with him in his purposes and his plan and his mission on this earth and wait for heaven to come. And the problem is, friends, when you only know you're forgiven and you're not free of your shame, or you haven't allowed God to process your shame with him and with others, we never find intimacy. We don't know how to connect with people because we never feel we're good enough. We always feel that we're an outcast and we always feel like we're unclean. We need to be washed. 
When Jesus washes us, all you need to do is wash your feet, not your body, he said to Peter. And somehow we feel dirty. That thing is called shame. Shame is that deep sense that you are unacceptable because of something you did, something done to you, or something associated with you. You feel exposed and you feel humiliated all your life, even if you're successful. I want to say many people that are successful, the reason why they are so driven and so successful and so overpowering and so domineering is because they carry shame. The way that they cover over their nakedness is through plowing ahead and succeeding. They're never at rest. Exposed and humiliated. Somebody else said this, shame is the intensely painful feeling or experience that we are flawed and unworthy of love and belonging. Unworthy of love and belonging. And then what we do is we say, oh, well, I'm an introvert, so actually I just like to be by myself. And half the extroverts are doing that because they're masking their insecurity. Friends, if you feel unworthy of connection and acceptance, you will never have intimacy with the Father. You'll never have intimacy with each other. It affects your marriage. It affects any form of intimacy. Into me you see is what Bob Munford said intimacy means. Into me you see. When you carry shame, the last thing you want to do is let people see into you. You put the walls up. And it goes for people and it goes for God. The gospel deals with our shame. Just to recap, guilt is different to shame. Guilt is behavior focused. Shame is self-focused. Guilt is I made a mistake. Shame is I am a mistake. If you've lied once, you've lied twice, you've lied three times, you get known as a liar. You are a liar. Not I lied, I am a liar. How do you change that? Doesn't matter what you say, you're a liar. You see, guilt moves us to a place where we can actually change, we can realize and go before God. It's, guilt is about you in the courtroom with the Father and Him declaring you innocent, not because of what you've done, thank God, but because of what He's done by His blood. See, shame is in the public realm. It's got to do with the people, what people think of you, how people perceive you. Certain sins carry so much shame. I said, I said before, if you hit your wife, you're guilty. I mean, if you, if you, if you um, shout at your wife, you're guilty. If you, but if you hit your wife, that carries shame. Not all sins are the same. Some carry that. Pornography carries shame. All sexual sin carries shame. It's the one sin that you commit against your own body, the scriptures say. See, guilt moves us to a place that helps us to change, recognize it, I want to change. 
Shame moves us to a place where we feel like we can never change. It disempowers us to change because we never feel we're worthy of anybody helping us out of the pit of our sin. And the problem is, is that shame is so difficult to identify because it hides itself. It doesn't want to be exposed. It's too painful for people to see. And so what we do is we go on blaming and arguing our way through it instead of seeing it for what it is and letting Jesus touch us. Shame is never healthy. It always brings the worst out of us. It always brings the worst out of us. It renders you powerless. It's this thing, shame, that's associated with addiction. Depression, deep eating disorders, suicide, violence. As soon as you feel powerless, what do you do to feel powerful? Get violent. When you feel powerless and there's no hope, you might as well just end it. Suicide. And so you go on. Friends, the gospel deals with our shame, not just our guilt. In Genesis chapter 2, they're walking in the garden with the Father. And it says they were naked without shame. They had no clothes on, but they lived in honor. The opposite of shame is honor, value. Shame is valueless, powerless, not good for anything, never mount to anything. Very effective in parenting if you want to get the kids to do what you want them to do, shame. But very detrimental to their futures. Not good. Honor, created value. If you do not allow the gospel to deal with your value as a human being, created by God, you'll never secure your identity in him. Identity sits on this created value. I've realized this. We don't walk in our identity because we carry shame. It's the revelation of this. Brene Brown says, unless you claim it, it will claim you. And the problem with shame, it just grows over time. It doesn't get better. It doesn't, the intensity of it gets worse and manifests in different ways. They were naked without shame. They disobey God. They're under the, 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 the kingship. They're walking with the king. They submitted to the king. They're honoring the king. They give away their honor to the king. They dishonor him by honoring the serpent, the evil one. And so they come under the, the authority of the serpent. And what's the first thing that they do? Is they run and hide and cover themselves. God comes to them and says, why are you hiding? Who told you you were naked? You ate of the tree, didn't you? You did what you weren't supposed to do. You rejected my kingship. They're covering themselves. They cover themselves with fig leaves, it says, 
God kills an animal and covers them with it. It was always meant to be a temporary thing. There was always going to be death that was cover our shame. There would always be blood to be spilt to cover our shame and our guilt. But what's incredible, in the Old Testament, that skin, that dead skin, would have been unclean. They need something clean to cover them. And God comes, and he doesn't just send them out the garden, he says, You've got to, you can't eat here, you can't, you can't eat of this tree, because otherwise you're going to be permanently like this. You can't eat of the tree of life. And he stops them from getting there and he sends them out into the garden. The problem is, friends, is that although they're covered, shame follows them out of the garden. But the wonderful good news is so does God. He follows them out of the garden. You see, he wants intimacy with them. He wants intimacy with them. He wants them to connect. He wants connection with them. He follows them out the garden. And he sets up circumstances, sets up a priesthood, and he sets up a sacrificial system that they can be with him, ultimately waiting for the one, Jesus, that would come and set them free of their shame. What shame does, friends, in the garden is it makes us unpresentable before God and before others. We're hiding all the time, friends. Fear of man. People pleasing. If you dig deep enough, shame. We become unpresentable because of what we've done. We, get, we become unpresentable. We understand that actually what we've done is wrong. And scripture distinguishes between what we do, sin that comes from what we do and what gets done to us. But we become unpresentable because of what we've done. However, that's kind of actually the easy part in many respects because actually all you've got to do is have the humility, not all you've got to do, you've got to have a revelation that what you've done is wrong and then you've got to have the humility to acknowledge that what you've done is wrong and take it to the feet of Jesus and let, it, let him forgive you. I want to ask you this morning, if you've done something that you are too scared to tell anybody about, you are carrying shame. You need to confess your sin. That thing that is too difficult to tell others, that secret which you think, if this gets out, I'm done, you need to get it out. Otherwise, you will never have the intimacy with the Father and with each other and walk in the purposes that he's called you to do. This shame will trip you up all the time. And you'll think you'll be getting around and boop, around the mountain you go again. And you'll think and you'll live in the cyclical world of coming around all the time wondering why is it that I keep on getting tripped up when God has called you into a linear Teleopatelios is the thing. He's got purpose to it. It's not circular. It's straight. One degree of glory to the next. You need to speak to somebody. I know you've spoken to God. People say, but I've, I've asked God to forgive me and God has forgiven you. And he has. Guilt is not your problem. Shame is your problem. 
And the way you get rid of shame, friends, Brene Brown says this, if you want shame to grow, three things. I said this last time I preached. You've got to remember this. Secrecy, silence, and judgment. If you want shame to grow, keep silent. Don't talk about it. Keep it secret and be in an environment of judgment. Judgment doesn't get rid of shame. Grace does. Secrecy. Get it out, friends. Get the skeleton out the closet. Speak to people. Confess it. Don't be silent. It's a, a shame to get healed of shame. It's a community project. It's not you and Jesus. That's why James says, confess your sins to one another and then you will be healed. They were getting physically sick because of their shame. Guilt before the Father. You stand in the courtroom and you declared innocent, but problem is you walk out and you still feel like scum. Shame. And the joy of being forgiven for a moment, eventually you walk into your shame if there's shame there. And you think, why is this here? You need to speak to people. You become unpresentable because of your allegiances and associations. The man and the woman were the offspring of the king. As royalty, they were clothed in honor, even though they had no clothes. They were clothed with value and honor. They identified with the king who was God himself. His reputation was their reputation. This was before they ate the fruit, before they disobeyed God. But in disobeying them, they opted out of that royal line. They cut the association with the creator and chose to identify with the creation, with the creature. They degraded themselves by association. Now they're identified with an animal, not with God. And that's what human beings become when they carry shame. Tend towards that rather than towards holiness. When somebody says, you pig, they're not complimenting you. It's a deep shame that, you pig. We're meant to be associated with the king, clothed in honor. And obviously, this is kind of like an everyday experience, the way we, who we associate with in our shame. Because you go to school, and you've had an older brother go to school. Older brother was the naughtiest open school ever. In fact, let me give you a real life story. I just remembered one now. I'm the older brother, and my brother was the younger one. We went to... When I first met Heather, now listen, my brother had red hair. And anybody that got red hair, <laughs> Jerusalem, a bunch of other things, led to a lot of violent interactions. <laughs> and then naughtiness beyond yourself, like beyond. To the point where my English teacher, I was like the good guy. I was a goody two-shoes. I was the compliant. He was not. Heather's folks were teachers at Kersney, and the t my English teacher from Hillcrest High, now teaching at Kersney, hears that Heather's going out with this Phipps person. 
She says to Heather's dad, are you sure you're happy with that? <laughs> she actually wasn't my English teacher. She was my brother's English teacher. Are you sure? You see, by association, she thought that it was my brother that she was going out with and she had major concerns. And then she realized, no, it was the older brother. It was a much better guy. <laughs> but the point is, friends, who you associate with puts shame into your life or puts value into your life. When you associate with the king and come in compliance with the king, you carry the reputation of the king. We always turn away from those that we think will damage our reputation and we turn towards those that will enhance it. That's what we do. So we have movie stars and pop stars and famous people and all that. That's all we're trying to do is enhance, kind of step out of our shame, come out of our shame and cling on to that. So by reputation, because I know that person, I'm also a good person. Shame and honor always have something to do with other people. Always. We experience honor when we're associated with honorable people and we experience shame when we're identified with shameful people. Come out of the garden, no longer associating with the king, their father, but associating with the creature, with creation. We also become unpresentable because of what others have done to us, friends. Now, this is tricky. And I want to say this again very carefully and very tenderly. Because I need you to hear this. Because Jesus wants to set you free. If you've been sexually violated in any form or any way, and you've buried this thing and you thought, no, it's just in the past. That association of shame, it almost like it, it creates this bond with you and that person. And you can forgive them. And if you've been around in church, you say, yes, but I've forgiven them, I've forgiven them. But have you allowed God to deal with the shame that came from that interaction? You know why, friends? Because what happens in shame is that, we, is that we blame. We shame and blame. When you are powerless, you've got to find a way to come out from under it, so you blame others. That's what Adam and Eve did. Finger pointing. But always pointing at the wrong person. You see, shame is a dark place. It's, it's, this, it's this insidious thing. It's this darkness that misdirects us and disorients us and, and confuses us. And once you're in it, you forget how you got in there. It's like you disconnect it somehow. And what happens is we blame others when it's our fault and the more insidious thing is we blame ourselves when it's others' fault. That's what shame does. It puts the blame in the wrong place. And if you're living under the weight of that, my gosh, you will not be free. Where the blame, 
If you, let me just go back to that thing. If you, were bo- if you had some kind of sexual sin, child abuse, sexual thing, some abuse, friends, it carries shame because somehow we get it right in that disorientating darkness that it was your fault rather than the other person's fault. Whether shame leads you to blame for everything or shift the blame to other people, the overwhelming sense that you get from it is hopelessness. Hopelessness. Where now? And what happens? It makes it worse because you know you know the king. So I should not be hopeless. I should be full of life and joy. Why, Lord? It must be my problem. Because only bad things happen to bad people. We start to rationalize. The problem is bad things happened to Jesus and he wasn't bad people. The only way through this is Jesus. Before I get to Jesus, you need to understand this. This is so, so important. If you can get this, it will begin to unlock something for you. In the scriptures, there's holy things and there's common things. If you want to take common things and bring them into the presence of God, you've got to consecrate them. There was a whole process in the temple and the tabernacle. So holy and common. Underneath common are two things, clean and unclean. In the Old Testament, if, you were, if something was unclean and it touched something clean, it made them unclean. So the direction was unclean made the clean unclean. So all the laws were don't touch anything that is unclean. And any kind of the broad over the, the, the guiding principles was that made something unclean was anything associated with death, which included blood, anything associated with idol worship, unclean animals, all those things were unclean. And if you touched a dead body or you touched a menstruating woman, you were unclean. Any violations of God intended order, any sexual sin made you unclean. But it's a bit of a dilemma because what happens is if you've been violated sexually somehow or abused as a child, you've had the unclean touch you, but now how do you get clean again? How do you get clean? Because the unclean keeps touching you. And then what happens, you can go to therapy, you can go to all sorts of things and you kind of rationalize it and you get it and you, you get yourself, the blood of Jesus cleans me, Lord, thank you. But somehow, there's this wrestle between the clean and the unclean. The very, very good news is this. Is that when something holy touches something common, which is clean or unclean, that thing becomes Holy. Listen to this now. When the holy touches the unclean, it becomes holy. When the holy touches the clean, it becomes holy. And so what God did, he sent the holy one to deal with the problem, not a clean one. You will never get clean enough if you try to be clean. The only way you can get clean 
is to touch the holy. You've got to touch Jesus. And when you touch the holy, guess what? You become a saint, a holy one. We're in the process of that holiness penetrating every part of our lives. It's called sanctification. Sanctified, becoming holy. Sancti- sanct- saint, same word, same word group. This is incredibly important because when Jesus comes, and isn't it incredible when Jesus comes, when he comes, listen to this, those of us that are carrying shame, listen to this. He comes as a holy one, but he comes into the world of shame. He identifies and takes on its shame. He comes into a lowly family, into a poor family, shame. That's why the gospel is preached to the poor, because the gospel touches the shame, the shamed. Those that are outcast, those that are not worthy, gospel comes to that. Wherever there's shame, Jesus is close by. Jesus comes into this lowly carpenter's house. And what is unbelievable is he carries the shame of a bastard son. He carries the illegitimacy. But hang on, you weren't married, Joseph, what happened here? In the very inception, his conception into shame, into a world of shame, but holy. At the end of his life, he's standing on his life, he's on the cross, in probably the most shameful thing that you could ever do, naked, bleeding, ripped apart, on the cross, being insulted by all those that walked past, being insulted by the Pharisees that should have recognized him, being insulted by the people on either side of him that were worse than him. Their mate Barabbas should have been on that third cross, but Jesus takes his place of shame. You see, Jesus so identifies with the shame that every interaction in the scriptures is with the shamed. Whether it's a tax collector, whether it's a leper, whether it's with death, and every time Trump, holiness trumps it, death comes to life. Disease comes whole again. Jesus is the shame guy. He's the one that deals with our shame, our our guilt and our shame. Jesus is the friend of tax collectors and sinners, of the shamed. Jesus is a friend of shame people. If you're carrying this and you think it's too much to speak to and you're too scared to face your shame and you're too scared to talk to somebody about it, I want to tell you Jesus is right with you. He knows it. He gets it. He's experienced it. He, he knows this thing and he wants to set you free. He, he sets people free that are known by their sins. Maybe Joe the divorcer. Maybe Jane the adulteress. Maybe Jim the thief. Known by their sin. Including those that were physically handicapped. Geez, why, why, why is this guy born blind? Was it his parents that sinned? Was it what happened here? It's an act of shame. 
Something happened here. It wasn't, this is shame. You see, Joe the blind guy, Jesus comes and he comes and he walks with and he touches. Jane the molested. Where you feel like you are known by your sin. And you, it's like you're hiding it and you feel inside of you. Everybody can see that if they just open, just scratch a little, actually I can't be there. I've got to outcast myself. I can't speak about this. I end with this scripture. Luke chapter 8. Verse 42. As Jesus was on his way, the crowds almost crushed him. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. Remember, unclean. 12 years. But no one could heal her. I don't think anybody wanted to because to touch her would be you'd be ceremonially unclean, which means you would have to go and do a whole process to get back into the temple. She came behind him and touched the edge of his cloak and immediately her bleeding stopped. Immediately her bleeding stopped. That's physical healing. Who touched me, Jesus asked. When they all denied it, Peter said, Master, the people are crowding and pressing against you. It's like, listen, lots of people are touching you, Jesus. What do you mean? Who's touching you? But Jesus said, someone who touched me, I know that power has gone out from me. Some versions say, virtue has left me. Somebody made a draw on my holiness. Some uncleanness made a draw on my holiness, and I know something happened. There was a transaction that happened, Joe. Who was it? Then the woman seeing that she could not go unnoticed. For those that live in shame, they continue a life of being unnoticed. Even if you're loud, that's your way of being unnoticed. She's got so much shame. And eventually she gets put into a corner. I feel like God wants to put us into a corner this morning. He wants to open the lid of that box that Beth was talking about. He's going to put you in the corner where you have no choice because of a revelation of him, where you could not, you cannot continue to go unnoticed, came trembling and fell at his feet. I tell you, friends, we come trembling before him and falling at his feet, touching his feet after touching his hem. In the presence of all the people, she told why she had touched him and how she had been instantly healed. You see how you've got to share shame? Why? Why are you on the floor? No, I had an issue with blood 12 years. Doctors couldn't help me. Spent a lot of money. And, 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 I, and I'm unclean. I know I shouldn't be here. Please don't stone me. But Jesus has just touched me. Then he said to her, daughter. He didn't say woman. He didn't say unclean thing. He said to her, Daughter. You see, when shame comes off of us, we can receive daughter, son. You know, when we carry shame, it doesn't matter what anybody says, you can't receive that. It's like, it, it's like a hard shell. It says, daughter, your faith, your faith, 
Her faith was substantial enough for her to push through a crowd that she shouldn't have been in and to dare to touch the Holy One's garment. Dare to touch his garment, not even his person, just his garment. Has healed you. That word healed is sozo. It's not just physical healing, it's all kinds of healing. He made her clean again. He took his shame off of her so that she could be received the title daughter. Go in peace. That's one of the most outstanding things that happens when God begins to deal with our shame. And it is a process because what happens is when shame starts to live, live we start to find peace and rest in God. And as soon as we find rest and peace in God, we can begin to think clearly. The confusion, the disorientation begins to, to waver. And then God st we start to make the connections of how we've been behaving and why we've been behaving. And suddenly you realize, oh my gosh, I've been blaming others, but actually I'm the problem. I've got to deal with my shame. Even if it was something that somebody did to me. And I've been carrying this, and I've, I've, every time I get up to speak, I'm my five-year-old self that was abused. I'm defensive, I'm hard-hearted. I, res I, re I resist relationships, I resist intimacy with the Father, and it's just, I'm angry. All these things, friends, begin to line up because God begins to deal with our shame. So it is a process, but there is a moment where we can touch the hem of Jesus. Be healed, and he can call us daughter or son. Can we stand, please? Greg, can we...